Hi everyone, I'm Marion and today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 11 verses 1 to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you, even though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I invite Jeff to come and join me. I'll just pray for him. Our loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you hear our prayers. We pray you will speak to us through Jeff tonight. Amen. Well, thank you for that uh, uh, introduction and your prayers. Uh, I've just thought over this time of year, probably in the light of the direction we've been heading, we just spent a few weeks looking at some of those uh, key passages about prayer. Um, It's something which uh, I know that if you're anything like me, we don't really major on it and uh, we don't make a lot of it. Mind you, we've had some answered prayer today. And uh, my wife and I would like to just inform you that at 5.19, as we're walking in the church tonight, my second daughter uh, delivered a baby in uh, Melbourne. And uh, we're not sure of the name. (laughs) But uh, mother and baby are well. And uh, that's uh, Jess, Ollie. Uh, So... uh, no, that's not the name of the baby. Just <laughs> but, um, uh, So anyway, just uh, much prayer has gone into this one. She'll probably achieve extremely wonderful things. 
but uh, all doing well. I, uh, I think that there's an awful, just to introduce a series, I think there's an awful lot written and said about prayer uh, that overly complicates it. And uh, I'd like to, over these four weeks, just look at some of the key uh, things that we're encouraged to pray for and Jesus and instructions about prayer, uh, which are quite straightforward if we understand them. And these things can be like pillars that we take into our prayer life and we can rest upon them, put our weight upon them, depend upon them. But I do think that oftentimes uh, people do complicate this and we turn it into a bit of a science and some people become experts uh, and it's just not the way it is. Uh, What I find interesting about this passage is that Jesus, who is our Lord, through whom we pray, uh, to whom we pray, is here instructing us about how to talk to him. That just strikes me as an interesting short circuit there. And this little passage begins uh, because people heard Jesus praying and they realised that when they heard him that it wasn't like the way the rabbis prayed or the great mystics of their era. It was so matter-of-fact. And uh, they asked Jesus, well, what should we pray, you know? Every rabbi had their own liturgy, their own structure that they instructed their disciples in how to pray. But Jesus uh, really was uh, not a great showcase of of prayer. And even the Lord's Prayer, as we look at it, it's straight up. It's uncomplicated. Uh, It's uh, brief. And Jesus instructs us to, to take on the mantle of uh, honouring God and asking for forgiveness for sins, asking for our daily needs, all those are legit for Jesus and we don't need to polish those things up in complex prayer liturgies. I know uh, over the years as I was a young Christian um, I think I was put under a lot of stress and pressure with very complex teaching about prayer and um, <clears throat> One thing that stuck in my mind was I was instructed uh, when I went along to prayer conferences and things that uh, the highest form of prayer was praise and we had to learn how to praise first. Um, I think a few people here would have heard that sort of notion. Um, Jesus doesn't say that. Uh, The New Testament doesn't rank prayer that way. In fact, I think what the Lord's Prayer in this passage is doing as they hear Jesus talk about that is to say all these things are equally legitimate praise, asking for forgiveness uh, asking for your daily food Um, these things whatever comes to mind can be valid prayer if they're valid needs and uh, it's not that we have to so start with the sublime and saturate the heavens with a lot of sublime language and then if there's time on the agenda, we get on to our stuff. Uh, you know, there's a certain logic in it. I can see that, the idea that, you know, prayer that is just praise. Um, we don't come into the picture. We're just focusing upon God. And prayer that is thanks comes out of a heart of gratitude for what God has done. But we're coming into the picture. And then we can ask and we can ask for our supplications or our own petitions. But that's something men have said. The New Testament doesn't go there. Uh, there's something very open and accessible about New Testament 
Christian prayer. And this is one of those sessions where Jesus just cracks that myth apart. And uh, <clears throat> so he begins by telling us what to pray for. I wanted to, know, to notice tonight why we pray, which is a, comes out of that little parable in the middle of this section, uh, the parable of a friend who visits at midnight. Jesus was the master of parables. He just knew how to illustrate his theology uh, straight out of the experiential life of the people that he lived with. So this is about why God answers to prayer. Another thing that I was brought up on was this idea that you had to pray a lot and you had to move the hand of God. And if you weren't persistent and sincere and you know, quantity mattered, that was something I was brought up to believe. And I don't think that's necessarily true either as we look at this. Prayer is not a science, it's not a philosophy, it's just a profound personal practice that uh, we have. Now, in the story that Jesus tells, Jesus in verse 5 says uh, something like this. I've got problems with the way this passage is translated. Surprise you? <laughs> then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight uh, and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Now, um, other versions have this not with the words you, but suppose someone has a friend and it's a, in a third person uh, all the way through. So suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. You can pick the, pick the scene, what's happened, that there is a, someone that is rolled up to uh, a friend's place totally unannounced. But he wasn't expected. And uh, this is in a particular culture where hospitality is really critical and um, in this particular uh, context, the, uh, uh, the arrival of someone like that would be quite off-putting, uh, especially if the larder was bare and you can't go to the markets at midnight, so you're stuck. Another thing you can't do is you can't feed people your leftovers. That's an absolute insult. You must prepare something fresh. That's the nature of the, this. Well, this guy can't. What do you do? The friend comes in, he's in your, your front room, in your lounge room, and you realise that you've got to be hospitable or else this is going to be a slight on your family. It's going to be dishonourable. And here, this guy would take his friend who's just arrived on the road and would sit him down and say, look, can you occupy yourself for a while and, and give him the weekly times or whatever it is that you've got on the table, and you'd nick out the back and he'd go to your neighbour. And Jesus is saying, how would it be if you went to your neighbour and you knocked on the door and you explain your predicament and they say to you, <coughs> in Hebrew, rack off, uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm not going to help you. My kids are already in bed. Uh, I can't get up and you know, give you anything. Now, Jesus is throwing that out there as an exaggeration. And he's saying... Can you imagine that happening? And he's expecting the crowd listening to go, of course not. That's not what happens. Not in this culture. You, you, this is not an individualistic culture. This is an enmeshed culture. It's an honour-shame culture where the whole honour of the village is joined together. My honour is affected by your behaviour. So Jesus puts that out there 
for people to refute and say, well, of course that's not going to happen. He's not going to say, don't bother coming, because, and here's the reason, I tell you, Jesus says in verse 8, we're going to look at this, I've got a dodgy version on the the slide, um, my terrible typing. Um, You can see I've made a mistake in the first one. Here's how it normally reads. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he, the one calling, is his friend. Yet because of his, the one calling, his lack of shame or his shamelessness, or here it says, what is the word? His audacity or his shameless audacity, something like that, his persistence. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. That's how I was brought up to read this passage. But that's a modern, Western, individualistic reading that ignores the culture. That's not how the people that listened to Jesus this day would have heard it. They would have heard it something like this. And it's only a difference of who gets the red here, who is being spoken of. Let's try the second form. I tell you, though, he, who is he? The guy in bed or the guy knocking? The guy in bed. He will not get up and give him, who's him? The guy with the problem. He will not give him anything because he, the guy with the problem, is his, the guy in bed, friend. Yet because of his lack of shame, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. How come we've got two totally different readings of the same verse that are quite different? The reason is, firstly, the word has been misleadingly translated down the centuries, only in actually modern times. The word uh, for shame is a critical word here. The word for shame here is, is only mentioned, this word, negative of shame, It's the word shame with a little negative particle put in front of it. That's only used here in the New Testament, so it's hard to be hard and fast about it. But in this culture, unlike ours, if if you are... What's the negative of shame in our language? The negative of shame is shameless. And, and, And it means that you're brazen. You have no respect for cultural norms. You're quite self-centred. You're shameless. But not in this culture. It doesn't work like that. And what the translators have done is transfer our understanding of how to do syntax into the syntax of these people, which it doesn't work. The negative of shame for this person is that this guy has no, no desire at all to shame himself. He is shame-averse. The last thing he wants to do is to shame his household, to shame his name. And that's why he gets out of bed when his friend calls. There is no sense in this passage that that word means persistence. There is no sense that that word means audacity. They're totally different words. It means this person has an acute sense of shame. He's not going to blot his copybook. That's what it means. He is shame-sensitive. Not shameless, not brazen. And by, besides, it doesn't really make a lot of sense if, if it says that Jesus 
that they're saying that the man who is in bed gets his desire because of his sheer audacity. That's not a virtue. I mean, why would God look down and go, oh, you want a Maserati, (laughs) cheeky little monkey? I like that. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) That's not how it works. Here, the, the whole idea, and let's get to the point, is that Jesus is saying, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him, the guy with the predicament, anything because he, the guy with his because he is his friend, yet because of his own acute sense of shame, he wants to keep his copybook clean, he will get up and he'll give him whatever he needs. That's what the passage is saying. And so the translators have picked on the wrong word, they've imported our syntax, they've imported our cultural values and they're talking about the wrong person. When we talk about the right person, in this context, these people that are listening to Jesus would have said, of course he'll get up. And why? Because what would happen? You know, if the first guy comes along and he calls at his neighbour and he says, I'm at a real spot, I've got a friend who's just arrived and I've got all this food, I've got no food for him, he's got to have a meal, and the minimum that you'd give in this culture is three little loaves. And so that's where you start with your request. You'd ask for three little loaves and maybe a bit of oil. That would be considered a, a snack, a decent meal. But that's where you'd start. And if the guy inside said, well, get lost, it's too late, not my problem, what do you do then? You'd go to the next house and you'd say, same story, I've got this friend in need, I need three little loaves, some, something like that. I need some oil. And besides, you know why I'm here? Because I went next door to Bob and he told me to rack off. And on you'd go. And usually what the friend would do would say, oh, three loaves, I mean, that's not enough. Here, take my sausage, take my hummus, and you'd go to the next. And the whole town would pitch in for the honour of doing hospitality well. It would honour them. That's the nature of Jesus' hearers. That's how they're they're hearing this parable. And so this is what Jesus says, that prayer is like that, that we do not batten down the gates of heaven with sheer persistence. And God is not reluctant to get out of bed. We don't pull him off the couch by simply working on him. That's not the nature of Christian prayer. Jesus wants to understand that. The reason why God answers prayer is simply one thing. He is concerned about his reputation, his name, what the world will think of him. That's why he answers prayer. It isn't because of something we do, It's because of something that resides deeply within him, a concern about his honour. God is shameless in the right sort of way. He is really shame-sensitive. And an illustration of that is in the Old Testament, in the story that many of you would know where the people of Israel 
uh, have sent out spies to see the new land in Canaan. They've escaped from Egypt and God is about to take them into the new land. And they go in, they say, they come back with a report and they say, yes, this, it's a great land, land of milk and honey. It's, uh, you know, incredible what we saw there. But the residents, you know, will never beat those guys. They're monsters. And uh, they distrust the promise of God that he's going to supply them with a land. And at that point, as the people grumble about, you know, what a bad deal this is, we could have stayed in Egypt, you know, but here we're out, outgunned by these people. We're not going to... And God tells Moses, because Moses and God are on this open forum thing where they're very open with each other, and God says, well, Moses, that's it. They've had their chance. You know, we're going to have people of Israel, Mark 2. I'll lose those and we're going to start with you and it's your descendants who they'll inherit the promise of Abraham. But I'm done with these people. And Moses realises that when God says the game is up, it is. But he still requests God to answer this prayer. And it's fascinating that if you look at his prayer, the whole basis of his prayer is that Moses knows that God is concerned about his reputation. And he says to God, what are those Egyptians going to say when news gets back that you brought them out of Egypt? You could do that, but you couldn't bring them into the promised land. Or you brought them out here just to perish in the desert. It'll get back and your name in front of the Egyptians, it will be mud. Just like the neighbour's name would be mud if he didn't supply to the request. And so God answers that and he spares Israel. I mean, they take a a bit of a cook's tour of 40 years in the desert before they re-enter. But that's the nature. God answers prayer here again because he has a concern about his honour, his reputation, his name. He will not tolerate shame. That's why God answers prayer. And that's why the passage goes on to point out, he says, well, you know, <laughs> knock yourself out effectively. You know? now, ask, seek, knock. Whenever you ask, you receive. Whenever you, you know, this is the, the incredible thing about Christianity is that unlike a lot of the stuff that gets taught in spirituality courses, and I've taught them for 20 years, Unlike a lot of those curricula and a lot of the stuff you can buy in Kurong books, God actually answers every prayer. The, the whole thing that the New Testament drives at is that God really does want to answer prayer. He doesn't want us just to meditate on him. He doesn't want us to just hang around until we have a vision of God. He wants us to ask stuff because asking God for things honours God. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that if you ask believing that God is willing and able, then you are honouring him and he will answer that prayer. Supplication is as much the highest and purest form of prayer as anything because it puts God and his honour on the line. He's got skin in the game when you ask for actual things. I get very bored with wishy-washy prayers about God, you know, bless the world type prayers. God, be with us type prayers. 
You know, if we really believed that he was able and willing to answer prayer, what would we ask? That's what Jesus is saying. And I think that the day that I step into glory, if there's one thing where I have failed profoundly, it's that when I actually meet the Lord and I get to know him, not just on a first name basis, but eyeball to eyeball, I will realise how little I have asked for. That I could have asked for so much more because he was so willing, not just to give me what I want, not because I'm a friend, not because he likes me, and certainly not because my sweet nothings soften him up, but because of his honour. He must honour himself. That's the basis of Christian prayer. We don't have a reluctant, inert object out there in heaven. We don't have to remind him of our qualities. We don't pull him into activity. We don't spur him into action by the words we say or the volumes of our prayer or the, the, the intellectual exercises we go to visualise the answer. All those things are nonsense. It's a waste of energy. Just ask just believe that God acts out of his own concern for his own reputation. Our supplications honour him. And when he answers, he goes on, he answers generously. Like a father, like a father doesn't, when a son asks the father for something, Dad, can I have an egg? <laughs> Put out your hand. It's an evil father that gives him a scorpion. Or you see, the, you know the illustrations. That's not the nature of our God. We love to bless our children. And God loves to bless his children with the best of gifts. Jesus finishes by saying, isn't that fascinating? How much more then will your Father in heaven give? And you'd expect him to say, we'll give what you ask for, wouldn't you? But he doesn't. He says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And these people did not have the Holy Spirit. The people asking this question, the people listening to Jesus this day, did not have the Holy Spirit like you do. But in God's appreciation of what he can give, he's saying, you'll ask for a lot of things, but by far and beyond, the best thing I could ever give you is the indwelling of my Holy Spirit. So that regardless of what happens as a result of your request, I am there present when you pray. My presence is there with you. As I said, he's got skin in the game when we pray. And the Holy Spirit is the best that he can do. Jesus realises the thing that we need above all. What our highest good is, is not even the answers to our prayer. It's to have the breath of God himself living within. And that's what he would give us. So, be encouraged to ask, but don't think that it's really the quality of your words or the quality of your life or the quality of your affection or your imagination or anything like that that will stir him into action. It's purely because he is concerned with his honour. And we honour him when we ask him in that spirit. Why don't we do that now as we complete our time together today? Our Lord and our God, 
We thank you that in this world and this world that we live in and this time that we live in, we can ask for things and you always answer because you are not a reluctant God. You don't have to be persuaded, but you're the God who must stir himself because you are concerned about your name. You are self-motivated. You aren't enmeshed with us. We thank you that you are quite free. But Lord, Lord God, we pray that we would use this facility mindfully and that we depend upon this, that we wouldn't doubt that you've heard us or want to answer us because of something in us or something we've said or haven't said. But Lord God, we pray that you'd encourage us to be people of prayer, especially this year as we go forward, that we might stand here at another time in the next year and we'd look back and we'd be able to say, this world, our life, this place is different because we asked and God answered. We pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.